Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. going to do a lot of processing today. So following positive developments on the COVID-19 vaccine front, investors seemingly rotating out of high-priced growth stocks that have performed well during the COVID crisis, moving into more bargain price stocks that could benefit from a post-pandemic economic recovery. How do we process the astonishing resistance rally in tech stocks though, uh, and growth stocks with high duration, Tesla, Peloton, DocuSign, Zoom Video, for example. And how do we interpret the Pause in the U.S. Treasury sell-off, gold staging a recovery, oil and copper losing the bid. Let's turn to a commentator for today. We are hosting Jack Cousy, joining us live all the way from Australia. He's founder and director of Strategy VFS Group. How are you, Jack? Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. It's actually afternoon here, but I'm not going to hold you to that. It's just, just turned over one o'clock. I just had a little bit of lunch. And I am absorbing what is a always, I mean, I always say we're in a historical time. And again, we're seeing history play out in front of us in what is a very topsy-turvy market, as you kind of alluded to before I came on. But thanks for having me on. Uh, always great to, to have you on. So you're a little ahead of us in the day. Always good to know. Uh, with vaccine... <laughs> <laughs> give, us, give us a look ahead, Jack. Uh, with vaccine rollouts widening and those fiscal stimulus measures in place, some people thinking part of that fiscal check of $1,400 might go to GameStop. We could talk about that in a while. But broadly, Jack, what are the possible implications for various asset classes as you see it? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one as an investor right now and someone that looks at money markets. And as a big tech investor, you know, and you and I have talked to on this show a number of times about my overarching need to have tech and we're kind of seeing this great rotation. So let's just talk about the vaccine at the moment. Mm. You know, any, any fears of not enough vaccines, mm-hmm. I think we can put to bed right now. So, you know, we've seen AstraZeneca roll it up, ramp it up. We've got the Johnson & Johnson one jab. My understanding is there's anywhere between two to 300 million um, jabs for that. Right. The U.S. alone, which is still the world's largest economy, still the engine room, has approximately 400 million jabs. And that's whether you need a one or a two jab. So if you're using you know, the AstraZeneca or the Moderna, they've got enough to give you two jabs. So we've got 400 million people, more than their population, to make sure that we can roll it out. We've got you know, Europe, I think Britain's now at 30 or 35% of the population. So we know that the world is opening up. I think you can put that to bed right now. We're getting back into it. I think we're going to be flying by September. um, And we're going to get back to some type of normalcy. Now, it won't be normal forever. There are trends that are in place right now that will remain there forever. Mm. The question in front of the investor right now is, is, okay, what do I want to own? Do I want to own what's worked really over the last five to six years and worked accelerated in the last year? Or do I want to play the reflationary trade, this so-called value or quality trade? And at the moment, we're moving towards this so-called reflationary and value. And these are the airline stocks, the oil companies, the banks because of the steepening of the yield curve. I'm kind of in two minds at the moment. I've been hurt in the last two weeks because of my overarching or my focus and core on tech, but 
you know, do I think this is going to continue to play out? You know, I still want to be in the Zooms. I still want to be in the Z-Scalers. I still want to be in the Teslas because I think they've got the best long-term growth going forward. But I think what, as an investor, you need to understand right now is a bit of diversification is needed. So in, in terms of moving out of this tech space, I really like your infrastructure plays on the back of this fiscal spending, this enormous fiscal spending. We're not only going to see out of the Americans but also around the world. Mm. But then the biggest issue we've had is people are worried about inflation. You know, and that, I think, is what is scaring the market. So this pullback we've seen in the market over the last three to four weeks, regardless of whether you've been in value or tech, has been this underlying fear of inflation. So we saw bond yields uh, rise up past that 1.5, 1.6 mark. That fear it could get to 2 And the market is fearing an inflationary threat. And, and for your listeners out there, we're fearing the price of goods and services going up. And it's not just the fear of those things going up. It's the reaction from central banks and governments around the world. What do they do when they get inflation or some type of long-term inflation? And the only lever that they have really is either suck liquidity out of the market, mm. and they've been pumping it in for quite a long time, or raise interest rates. And that is the ultimate fear in the market. But I think what you will see is that because tech makes up such a big um, exposure to an S&P 500, you can't rally without tech. And we're kind of seeing that. So a lot of questions at this point in time, my biggest, and I don't know the answer to this at this point in time, is this a, is this a long-term rotation or is it what we saw kind of in September last year and previously where we saw this mini rotation into value and then coming back to those household names? So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting time in front of us at the moment. Really great, concise summation of where we are and, and not easy to do. So thank you very much for that. Now, if we look at tech stocks, they did a quite an abrupt about face overnight, Jack. They reversed that recent yeah. slide that brought the NASDAQ into correction territory. Uh, NASDAQ yeah. jumping 3.7% for its best gain since November. Apple, Amazon, Facebook leading the way. So yeah. why have investors jumped back into tech stocks overnight, do you think? Well, I think now when we look at tech, we've got to kind of split it up into two types of tech. I know there's a lot of different types of tech, and we've talked about this before, but let's just talk about U.S. tech for a moment. Mm. I think you talk about big tech, and then there's the rest of tech. So when I look at an Amazon, Apple, you know, these big stocks, I kind of see them, yes, as technological stocks, but I also see them as safety and defensive stocks. And and I want to own these all the time. If you ask me, do I want to own an Apple or a Goldman Sachs, I'm mm. always going to say to you an Apple. Mm. It's got great free cash flow. It's got enormous diversification. It's in most industries. You know, it's got enormous cash balance. It's still trading at value. So that part of the reason, kind of that part of the area kind of held up with the exception of maybe Apple. And then we saw a repricing re, re to that growthy tech. And what we need to understand is we need to ask ourselves is, these companies trading at 30, 40 price of sales, your Pelotons and, and these types, do we believe that their earnings are going to continue to grow like they have, or at least in proportion to what they've had over the next three to four years? And the market asked itself that question yesterday at these valuations, and it said yes. Mm -hmm. And I tend to agree with them. I think the playbook is these type of stocks, and I think this is a buy-the-dip opportunity on these emerging growth tech value names. And the market asked itself that yesterday. I think the day before, 
was a bit of exhausting selling. You saw the Nasdaq finish on its lows, and what usually happens is you get it at a buy-up, and that's what I saw at, the, at this point in time. So I tend to think we're going to go back to these names, mm. and I don't think it's going to be a long-term rotation, which is contrary to most what analysts are saying out there in terms of this big cyclical move. Interesting. So you see buy the dip being the mantra of many investors these days with stocks like Apple and Tesla? I do, absolutely, particularly when I look at my mega mega cap stocks. When I talk about my Amazons, when I talk about my Facebooks, I think these are buy the dip opportunities all the time. You shouldn't trade them. You should just own them. And, and they are going nowhere, in my opinion. You know, if you want to talk about value and reflationary, then these tick all the boxes for me with a vaccine or without a vaccine. All right. And just uh, to sum up, how what do you see as the best way to sort of play the reflationary trade? Yeah, there's a couple of areas that I like. I, we've talked about this a while. I still like the banking sector mm. um, within the U.S., particularly with the steepening yield curve, particularly with rates possible. You know, you, you, it's just not Fed Reserve rates. You've got to talk about internal borrowing rates, though, which are on the rise. Mm. I really like that that part of the market. I also like your infrastructure place, so your Caterpillars, your John Deere's, um, that type of spending, because we're going to grow out of this pandemic by, you know, building roads, building um, schools, building facilities, and those companies will do really well. Do I believe oil is the best way to play this inflationary trade? No, because I look at the long-term prospects of oil, you know, they aren't necessarily so great. Do I think, you know, companies that have taken on a lot of debt in this environment, you know, I talk about my cruise liners, even some of my airlines, they're not the place I want to be. Those two sectors specifically for me in terms of a reflationary trade are good because the balance sheets of these companies that make up these industries are still very good, um, you know, and will stand the test of time. The other areas are worrying me because of the excessive debt these companies taken on in a very tough period. Is there room to for volatility bets in your book? Look, you know, in in my in my in my experience, the best way to smooth out volatility hmm. is time. Time is what smooths out volatility. Now, you may want to, you know, buy some put options, buy the VIX to, hmm. to try to, you know, take advantage of that volatility. Mm-hmm. But for me. As a long-term investor, as a manager of other people's money, I find that the best this time does two things for you: it decreases risk and it smooths out volatility over the long term. And we may see some some short shorter-term volatility over this time, but I find having a long-term perspective is the best way to play it. All right, let's switch gears. Look at Tesla, which gained more than a hundred billion U.S. dollars in market cap overnight. That jump more than double the total market cap of Ford Motors. So I wonder if you saw that story, Jack, about how Tesla is plugging a secret mega battery into the Texas electric grid. What did you think about that? Look, I I don't know the specifics of the technology that they're doing, but I did see the headline. I think it goes to show you that, you know, Tesla could be in anything going forward. You know, we talk about, you know, what Tesla is as a company. Mm. Um, and we talk about the guys from ARC, I forget her name, Catherine Wood, who says, you know, analysts can't price Tesla because they don't understand the technology behind it. And I talk about their chips, you know, they, they're, they're making their own or designing their own chips 
for their cars. They moved away from NVIDIA around two or three years ago. You know, this company has an enormous balance sheet now. It's raised a lot of money at a cheap rate. It's obviously done really well. And it's starting to horizontally and vertically diversify into other industries. The same playbook that your Amazons have done. You know, Amazon's in cloud. It's in e-commerce. It's in a number of industries. You look at Apple, you know, it's getting into services. It's getting into, you know, entertainment. Tesla is doing the same thing, and there's nothing that they can't achieve. They seem like they have a great board. They've got a visionary leader. Um, so, you know, I, I don't doubt them. I think Tesla becomes like an Apple and an Amazon for me. Don't trade it. Just own it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what can they, can't they do with a guy like Elon Musk in front of them? And, and you know, I, I, I think innovation, Tesla is an innovative company, and this is not the last bit of innovation we're going to see from this company going forward. And in terms of justifying its market cap more than double forward, well, the market seems to want to pay that price. And it's not just retail investors, it's massive institutions and Wall Street hedge funds who are falling over themselves to raise the price target. So there must be some quality in here in this, in this you know, what is an iconic name now. He's Jack Cousy joining us live all the way from Australia in the afternoon where hopefully he's had his lunch. Have you had your lunch, Jack? I did. I had a little bit of a lunch. I went for a run today. Oh, lovely. And I had a bit of a lunch and then uh, I'm actually going out to dinner tonight. So uh, I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, my gosh. It's almost life is you know, for normal. Have you got your vaccine yet? We are, we are, to give your viewers and, and listeners an insight, mm. um, yeah, we're pretty much back to normal. I mean... You know, you talk about the reopening of the globe. We've we've gone and pushed back our reopening of our borders for another three months. Um, and when you talk about this reacceleration into growth, and that's why I think we're going to have a really good market for the next year. Mm. You know, even off the back of an, an enormous market last year, is because we're coming off such a low level base. Yeah. We tend to underestimate what things do. Well, we tend to overestimate what things do in the short term and underestimate what they do in the long term. And if we talk about the virus just in particular, go back. 12 months ago, you know, we were kind of being told we're going to be locked in our door in our households for the next year. Hmm. So, you know, I really feel global borders will be open by September, October. You know, I, I, I am planning to be in studio with you by the end of this year. Um, <laughs> Cannot I, wait for I, that I to happen. It. Yeah. And then we will play yeah. back this clip and, you know, high five right. each other. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we're going to open up a lot more. And it goes back to what is going to benefit the most out of that. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, let's turn to what's happening over in China. I know you're you're very interested in the Chinese market. Uh, yeah. We did see China's main stock benchmark entering a correction earlier this week on concerns about liquidity conditions, lofty valuations as well in some of the recently uh, favoured stocks. Um, we have seen, though, the Chinese Communist Party, the funds coming from China's national steam team stepping in to try to mm. ensure stability at an important time for Beijing when the National People's mm. Congress was taking place. Um, but that seemed mm. to fail to lift sentiment. So as an investor, uh, what do you make of government-related entities supporting the market? Do you take comfort in this? Yeah, I think if we may, and I'm sure we've got enough time, let's step back a couple of um, a couple of actually let's step back a couple of months here. Mm. Um, so as you alluded to, we have China's two sessions going on. So that's a meeting of the MPC, 
um, and the CPPCC. That's a big acronym there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens, it happens over a couple of weeks, but there are two sessions. So the first one is the National People's Congress. That's made up of about 3,000 members. Of those, 2,400 are, are Communist Party members. And there's actually another political party in there, believe it or not. 400 members of them are a part of another political party. Who would have known China had other political parties? They're called the United Front, and they were backers of Mao Zedong during the Communist Revolution. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a bit of history for you. Here they rubber stamp what has happened from the Politburo. So if we talk about two different types of economies, and we talk about this decoupling that's occurring in the US and China, think about this. In the US, we're moving towards, or they're moving towards pumping more liquidity into the system. The Chinese are actually taking liquidity out of the system. And I'm going to address your question in a moment about funds coming in. Uh, Previous to lunar year, they sucked liquidity out of the market. Um, After lunar year, they did the same. And two weeks ago, they did the same again. And it's a policy of no sharp turns in China. We want to make sure that we have consistent growth and we don't have asset bubbles, both in the stock market and the property market. And the Chinese Communist Party has actually come out on record and saying asset bubbles only benefit the rich. They don't benefit the poor and the middle class. We want to make sure we keep a cap on these asset bubbles that are coming out in the economy. And that's been a, an, an, a policy from the top down to try to limit some of these asset bubbles. The other thing that the Chinese are fearing at this point in time is because there's a swashbuck of liquidity around the world, yes. you're getting foreign inflows coming into the Chinese economy, right? Which again pushes asset prices up, which doesn't go to their longer term view of having stable economic growth. And that's perfectly summarized by their GDP target that they recently came out with for um, over the weekend of 6%. Now, coming off a low base, you would think they would look for 8 or 9, but they've clearly said to the market, we do not want to grow too quickly because we are concerned about you know, enormous debt within the market hurting our economy. And it's an unspoken rule within China that there are no elections and no democracy because you have an economy that's benefiting everybody. And that is the policy that's happening right now. Now, what has occurred is, is the market taken it too far. You've seen this massive sell down by, you know, domestic. You've seen foreign foreign institutions come out and sell down, and it's kind of got out of hand, and it's triggered a lot of these stop losses. Now, you saw some government-backed funds come in to try to buy up the market. It kind mm-hmm. of didn't succeed. I'm expecting it to bounce back. Now, to answer your original question, what is my thought on this? What's the difference between that and the Fed Reserve? You know, what's the difference between governments buying bonds on the market? There is no difference. It's just done through a different mechanism. But I think the play that we need to understand here really is there are two diverging thought processes to managing liquidity in this market at the moment. In the U.S., it's let's make sure we pump enough to keep asset prices up. Yep. And the Chinese are taking a different approach. Now, whether they're going to be right or not, I don't know but they have taken a no-sharp turn and a U-turn approach and have significantly reduced liquidity in the market. I believe long-term, this will be of a benefit for them because their fiscal and liquidity cliff, you know, coming off that cliff, it's like taking, you know, my daughter is, we're, we're taking her off the bottle at the moment, right? We don't want to give her the bottle anymore. Mm. You don't suck the bottle out for her entirely and not give it to her. You kind of reduce it. 
And that's what the Chinese are currently doing it. And kind of the market got a little bit shaky about it. So maybe they reduced it too much and they have to, you know, kind of push it back. But that's what you're seeing there. And that's something that's been going on since November last year. He's a man who knows everything. Jack Cousy, founder and director of strategy at VFS Group. Give us a little insight, Jack, into Australia's reaction to the Meghan Markle interview. How are you all taking it? Is this a big blow for the... the <laughs> is this a big blow for the palace, Jack? I mean, my wife made me watch it last night. <laughs> I mean, I, I, when I say I watched it, I was on my laptop and I watched different things. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, you know, I just hope everybody's happy and we all love each other. You know, I, I tend to be, you know, a... Uh, you know, I don't know why we've got kings and queens anymore. I don't see the purpose of it. God bless the queen. God bless the royal family. <laughs> well on. said. Well said, Jack. Oh, my goodness. Jack Cousy, founder and director of strategy at VFS Group. You can hear him talk about, you know, various market, um, various angles on the market at his wonderful YouTube channel as well. Jack yes. Cousy. Yeah, Thank that's you where you find it. Thank you. Most Thank welcome. You I'll just, hmm. I'll just, I mean... It's an interesting time we're in. I mean, we, we are in the midst of a correction right here. So, you know, the NASDAQ is, you know, with the exception of yesterday, we saw a correction in this market. Um, China is in, you know, uh, and for your for listeners who don't know that, a correction is viewed as 10% or more from the highs. So right. we saw the February highs and we saw this enormous pullback in the market. Yeah. And the mentality of, I think, what is going to be tested over the next couple of weeks is, does the buy the dip strategy continue to work? particularly in tech. And, and I think that's the number one question that is now being faced by investors. The other thing I will say, and I know we talked about GameStop, and I'm sorry to, to kind of set my own questions. That's all right. Um, but we talked about this about a month ago when we talked about, you know, the retail arm leading the institutional arm. Mm. And I think what the last three to four weeks has told us is that that is not correct. The retail market doesn't lead the market. It may lead it in a few particular stocks, Michelle, like a GameStop, like an AMC. But I can guarantee you, and I, and I don't say I don't say this to you know act arrogant um, in any way, because I'm all for retail money coming in. But I guarantee you, it wasn't uh, WSB or Reddit guys who were selling ten-year treasuries and floating into cash, right? Which caused that great rotation. We talk about the jittery in the market that led to the sell-off in equity markets globally, it wasn't WSB guys selling treasuries, pushing yields up, right? These were institutional hands, um, which are the guiding hands and the influential hands that moved the market and led that market. And then what you saw was stop losses Mm. and a lot of these retail investors who hadn't experienced losses in the market Mm -mm. suddenly uh, say, well, you know, stonks, and I'm going to say it, stonks Stonks. can go down. You know what I mean? And, and that's what we've realized. And I think that sh- that's a good shakeout sometimes. Okay. Since you brought up GameStop, I mean, shares of GameStop yeah. on a roll again, more than doubled over the past week, 261 US dollars a share. So, you know, and some believe that small investors are going to be using that stimulus checks to buy more GameStop shares. So what do you think? GameStop getting a boost from the stimulus package? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, $1,400 you've got. The other one is the $300 extension. So mm. there was a $300 check. I don't know the specifics of it, but that was meant to end in March. That's now going to be extended to September. Mm-hmm. Look, um, GameStop, yep. Uh, AMC got some movement in, um, a couple of days ago. I continue to say 
that the market will catch it long term. Um, mm. And yeah, you, you probably this is probably a nature of the environment that we're in, and we're probably going to see this um, again and again. But do I believe GameStop is going to be trading higher uh, in? I'm going to say two years than it is today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say no because the valuations are being pushed out. So, look, mm-hmm. the retail investor and the retail trader isn't going anywhere. They've proven that they're going to be here for a long time. So it's another dynamic yeah. as an investor that you need to play. So, yeah, we need to think about it absolutely. Um, and the interesting thing also is you could have um, Robin Hood. You know, we're talking about an IPO here for Robin Hood, which has kind of been – you know that 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 conduit or the chameleon or the or the symbol of of that Reddit you know new investor coming in. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and what that looks like, and to look under the hood and see what happened during the banning of GameStop trading during that environment. Really look look at it in detail. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for joining us, giving us a lot of food for thought. He's Jack Cousy, founder and director of strategy at VFS Group. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.